spidey senses tingling. He's the host you love to love because you refuse to troll him, you cowards. He's slim. He's the host of the Paper Cake Podcast. This is episode 175. Welcome to the show. One of the biggest shows in show history, Paper Keg. We get together and we talk about comic books and then we have a book club every week. Same book, we all read it together and talk about it. We're going back to the archives to write an old wrong episode two. God loves man kills. Thanks for thanks for coming back. First of all, 175 big anniversary episode. Um, talk about comic books. We'll read your letters at the end of the show. It's a huge extravaganza, but we need to talk about the hosts of the show. First of all, street cred, bad health, unpublished writer. He's a father. We're all fathers. But this one in particular, he's bringing the, the cred to the show. He's a big shot in the writing scene. Jonesy loves beer. Welcome back. Thank you. Now, they've, they've started to call me the great white reverse hype. So, thank you all for voting me the reverse of anything exciting. I'm happy to drag the ratings down as best I can every week. Thank you for having me. You have been voted least popular host in show history numbers and that's i think we even had a mop with a wig on it host one episode so here's to you moppy (laughs) moppy yeah that was a great episode though i mean i mean the poignant i'll tell you what points of view moppy never redlined a microphone (laughs) the same cannot be said about you moppy was the i mean he was a consummate professional Moppy Ringwald. He had some issues. Paperwork was in order, but uh, we need to get to our final living host. He's he runs our social channels. He's in charge of marketing. He's got two kids and a wife. I don't know how he does it. Founder of the Ragams Corporation. Ragams LLC. Mm -hmm. If you need to put your kids to sleep before they're ready to go to sleep, Ragam. Dale underscore a hashtag Ragam up. Welcome back to the show. It's great to be back. This is Regulators, <laughs> mount up. <laughs> you just can't be any geek off the street. You got to be handy with your rags, if you know what I mean. Earn your keep. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it, you know this is my outlet. I look forward to this once a week. I pretend like I'm reading the book club maybe five nights a week after everybody goes to bed just to right just to kind of stare off into my iPad screen and just get get away from it. Just run. A lot of times, run away from I it. picture like Carrie, where you're 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 like standing in the kitchen. There's just chaos around you, and then the camera portrait shot of you, and everything is red. Just everything blinks red every half second. Like dun dun dun. 
It's fun. And then you return to normal. It's funny because that's the way I I live my life. Like I am actually part of a movie, so I will make facial expressions. Like there's a camera pointed at me at all times. So, you know, if I have to, uh, you know, point at my kids, like Carrie would point at the students in the gymnasium. Mm-hmm. You know, head back, eyes wide, pointing. Yeah, covered in blood. Covered in blood, and and probably you know apple juice or maple syrup from their dinner that they just Gosh. slopped all over the place. I can't we, even... I don't know how you do it. I don't know how we do it. God Loves, Man Kills is our book club this week. We did it once before, way back, 2011 maybe, three years ago. It was our second episode. Short backstory. You know, we, we recorded, uh, for a while, we recorded two episodes in one sitting. Oh, yeah. To save time because we used to commute after our usual commute to each other's homes to record twice a a month. God, those were the days. So the first time we were going to launch the podcast, I know exactly the wires that were incorrect on the mixer. I can see it in my head. You see it every night when you close your eyes before bed? That caused just some awful red, like the whole show was a red line, almost. And it it botched the first two episodes. We're we're gonna make it right. Are you sure I just didn't talk a lot in those first two episodes, and that well, could have been the problem? It's entirely possible if we can be frank with each other. We none of us knew what we were doing. Other, I mean, other than Slim, you you know, fuming well, yeah, the, that's the entire time, considering canceling the podcast before it even goes live. Right for the first. I wanted to just cancel. I wanted to throw the paper cake name into the junk heap. Mm-hmm. So three years later, we're gonna do it again. With hopefully quality sounding audio. We all check the tapes. We sound okay. Right. But anything can happen. Jonesy did have to reboot his computer about five minutes before we went live. Why why do we have to reveal I mean, uh, I, and I had to, to do audience. I had some audio issues too that before you got on, Jonesy, you know. So the second I, I mean the second after I said Jonesy, I'm gonna hit the broadcast button, Jonesy's mics goes <laughs> and Jonesy's miming things to us on the YouTube. You know, Hold on. Let's peek behind the curtain. Please. What the listeners don't know is that often you two will just talk to each other, mimicking that you can't hear me to get in my head. Some kind of fourth wall troll. Mm. So it's mm-hmm. not yeah. inconceivable that you would be doing it at that point mm. in time. Yeah, that's... All right? That's, uh, yeah, I mean, at 10.15 p.m., this is all we want to do is... Jonesy pulling the old hey did you send she, that, that Google she, Hangout invite right. yet I didn't she get the it claws, yet. Logan son Jonesy's rushing home in his truck you know it's ten twenty. he's asking can you send that YouTube invite again I didn't get it yet right, I'm, I'm s- in my couch I'm sitting I'm here I'm casting sense around on the radio on 104.5 last, last thing I'll say before we get into uh, I just realized I have to pick out two books that I need to talk about <laughs> didn't even nice. do that yet uh, we launched the Paper Cake Radio Syndicate. You know, it's a group of podcasts that we do. We launched a new podcast, Interview with the Podcast Vampire. Jonesy, can you tell us just briefly what that podcast is about and why people should check it out? First of all, it's the pentagonal addition to the Paper Cake family. Lucky number five. Uh, you know, the bell of the ball previously was Tech Smoke, who, you know, is enjoying quite a resurgence and the tech podcast uh, crowd, we're very proud of it. Uh, you know that host uh, at Nimenity on the uh, Twitter is living the dream, trolling us. Uh, you know, for us all, trolling oh, you, yeah. 
and we thank her for that. Uh, interview, you know, with the podcast vampire, it's no secret that we here at the Paper Keg Home Offices love Tom Cruise. And when you think of passion project, you think of interview with the podcast vampire. We're going to watch every single Tom Cruise credit, and we're going to give you our thoughts, prayers, passions, loves, and everything we can think of to express to you how much Tom Cruise means to us in our personal lives through the podcast medium. A little bit of uh, backstory. I don't know if we'll even remember to tell this on the show proper. Interview with the podcast Vampire. The, you know, the, the show was uh, believed it was being egged on by a couple listeners and as well as us. But uh, the weekend of Baltimore Comic Con is really when we put our heads together. And we're walking yeah, to the con or walking back. Slim just blurts it out, the name. We might have been having a uh, cold brew pop I at remember, that uh, bar across the street from yeah, the convention I, That was center. the exact position because I remember right after I mm. said it, Jonesy took one sip of his beer and then told the waitress that, just get me another one, please. And he's like, you might as well because by the time you get back here anyway, this one's going to be gone probably, he said. I've never seen someone order beer quite like Jonesy. And I'm, I might never see it again unless I'm watching some kind of TLC Life of an Alcoholic documentary. <laughs> I don't know what's so strange. I mean, the service was slow. It was a hot day. That first beer was going to go down quick. The service of every place we went to that weekend, I guess, was slow. But we but we need to... If I may, just ahead. real quick. Yeah. Uh, much like people who uh, play pool better drunk, Jonesy's finger roll navigations on that Uber app, drunk, <laughs> so fluid. It was like he was doing a demo. He Like he worked for Uber, he's doing a demo for customers. He's just moving across that screen like a little finger ballerina. It was beautiful. What's that? We got to get to our dinners two blocks away. Let me just uh, Uber it up in my pocket without. You guys want to link a town car? I got it. Hang on. So check out interview with a podcast vampire on iTunes. You know we got to get through the crap first. The first movie we did, Tom was in it for five seconds. Mm-hmm. We did quite a job, though. Oh yeah, you did great. Let's love our you know Absolutely. our all around shenanigans. <laughs> Uh, let's let's change it up. Usually we start with Jonesy. Sorry, who? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that really lifted the veil off the show. Your generic <laughs> real name. I just got a little tight for no I'm reason. Sorry, who? John John Smith. That's not my name. Uh, Dale underscore A. What did you read this week? I'm going to tell you what I read as soon as I remember what I read this week. We've. I don't know if you guys know, but we our last two episodes were just pure book club. I hadn't read a comic, a single issue in what seems like yeah. months, probably. Also, this is probably the first time I've called on you first in maybe half a year. Yeah, it's really, really. So like you, 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 you definitely were not prepared. I was not prepared either. I read a, a, a publication out by Boom Studios this week. A little title by the the uh, the title of Mimetic. Mimetic? Oh, come on. <laughs> Jonesy. <laughs> come on. This is the first time. Okay, back to the drawing board. All right. And uh, James Tinney in the fourth. Oh. Eric Donovan. It's a three-issue miniseries, and M- Mimetic is uh, essentially about 
Uh, it's very Snow Crash-like, if you've ever read the, the, the uh, Snow Crash book, or Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Um, it is very set in today's social media environment where uh, information travels muy rapido over Twitter and Facebook. And it's basically uh, somebody on Reddit posts a, a meme of a the good times sloth, basically. It's a picture of a sloth uh, giving a thumbs up against a, like a spirally background. And it starts breeding. Everybody starts looking at this picture and they're loving it. It's almost like behind the scenes in their head something's kind of like switching them off, like they're becoming zombies looking at this meme. And and it it's travels by, I mean, it's wildfire. And, uh, you know, the only people who aren't really taken by it is our main uh, main character who has a, a color blindness issue. So he can't really soak in the full picture. And also a former military intelligence head who is losing his sight as well. But he's growing concerned about uh, just hearing on the news. Uh, this picture's been out for 12 hours, and over 400 million people have seen it. Wow. And at an, in an instance, essentially after, um, you know, the 12th hour after you seeing this image, you're basically, it, it, the, the book gets hyper-violent, I want to say. It's very funny, very hip in the beginning, after uh, 12 hours of you seeing this image, your eyes start to bleed and you start to attack anyone around you a la Crossed or 28 Days Later. Uh-uh. You turn into a raving lunatic. So something is very, very bad here. It happens to uh, POTUS himself, the president. It happens to a lot of people and uh, that's where it leaves you. It's I was enthralled by the issue. It, it's, you know, it's very... It's obviously like a, uh, a commentary on the way um, information travels now and what kind of information travels now, you know, and mostly mm-hmm. living life by the memes on Twitter nowadays and things. But Good, but yeah. it's also got that horror aspect, that thriller aspect of, you know, how long do you have to be exposed, you know, questions arise, how long do you have to be exposed to the picture? You just glance at it once and that's it? I mean, it's mm-hmm. very... Very interesting. It's a three-issue miniseries, so I'm definitely in it for the next, the last two. Yeah, I, I especially liked um, when the Obama character was, uh, did it refer to him as Obama, or we're just, you know, we're pretty sure that's him. Yeah, yeah, it's, we're positive. It never says him by name, but. He essentially says to the nation that because of the rapid spread of this meme, that they're going to shut down the United States communication network, yeah. essentially making every single person blind, deaf, and dumb to any kind of technology, landline, satellite, anything. So, I mean, it become. I mean, it's pretty uh, clear that it, this was a terrorist act, kind of directed to doing that. I mean, you got to think everything goes offline. You know, as far reaches maybe missile guidance. So it, it's a yeah. wonder what the next and the each I believe it's set out three days. Each issue is going to be a day, and this is day one. So by day three, mm-hmm. what's the world going to look like without communication at all? I'm pretty excited for it. Yeah, they give you a quick glimpse, like maybe two or three panels of day three, 
and it does not look good. It's and it's just like a panel of you know the same street that uh, I think I believe his name is Ryan or Aaron, the main character, was walking down on day one, and it's just I mean it's ca- absolute chaos. So it's it's really really a good. I didn't know what to picture. I'm much like you know any solicits I saw. I just saw the slot the good time sloth meme, and I was like, what the heck is this all about? But it's a nice twist because it was, you know, uh, the solicit was kind of like it's the end of the world, but I didn't really know why or how. And it's actually really engaging. I, I liked it a lot. Yeah, I agree. It was really, really, and I don't want to say fun because the subject matter is heavy, but <laughs> yeah, this could be like a summer blockbuster movie. Oh, boy. I mean, yeah. just mm. three issues, flash in the pan. It's got the youth factor. I mean, if you're a young, you know, late, you know, teenager, twenty something years, us. like this yeah, is right up me. your alley. Like you, you live this life every day. So I mean, I was gripped by it. What was the title again? Memetic. Uh, memetic. Memetic. Or mematic. Should we talk about my favorite all-time Batman run, or Axis number three? Sure. That wasn't a decision. You just said sure <laughs> when I presented you two options. Axis. How about Axis? Because I'm two issues behind. Axis? And I, why would my hearing okay. the story? Axis number three. Big Marvel event. Remendo. I love that guy. Cubert did the... My mm. boy Adam Cubert. Grew up doing my Wolverines. He did the first two issues, and then they got Lionel Francis Yu oh, drawing yes. this issue. Oh, yes. over there? They, uh, they even on right now? They're dry. They're very dry. The first two issues. The first two issues. I'm, I, I don't know how I felt about it. I felt they were. They weren't the remender that I was anticipating from Uncanny X Force, where he had a small team and was able to devote the time and dedication to him. Because there's like 40 people in the first two issues of this book. Oh my word. So it wasn't the event that I was dreaming of in my head. That was on Kenny X Force, but the reason why I liked issue three a lot was because it he spends time with Deadpool and Kid Apocalypse. Nice, because those were he spent you know thirty some issues with on Uncanny X Force and had the time had them marinating in his emotions. So this uh, issue starts with Deadpool rescuing Tony Stark. the The major plot is the Red Skull has Professor X's brain, and he has unleashed Onslaught. So now he's red Onslaught. And um, I can feel my wife's eyes rolling back into her skull just by me describing the event Does she disclose the laptop in the other room? <laughs> she might have. She just jumped out the window. <laughs> so red Onslaught is wreaking havoc, and he has been feeding doubt into Tony Stark... For quite some time, so Tony Stark had built as a backup plan, just in case kind of the Justice League turned against Batman, that he built these super sentinels made out of adamantium. What? So at the end of issue one, Red Skull unleashes these adamantium sentinels. And at the end of issue two, they, they're just getting their butts whooped. And in kind of a villain's month what was that storyline called from dc forever the, um, evil forever evil the magneto realizing that he can't do it on his own 
go rattle wrangles up Doctor Doom, Loki, Deadpool. Um, who's the is it? Um, who's the guy that can, the bad guy that's shirtless that carries around the ball and chain? Who can change things? He can like if he touches rock, he turns to rock. Oh, uh, you he's know a Hulk I mean. villain, absorbing man. Yeah, yeah, absorbing, absorbing man. man. He's in there, hobgoblin. So now Magneto oh, brings wow. all these crooks to battle the Sentinels, and it works uh, because I guess Red Skull wasn't anticipating this. And but the the main thing is, I was glad because there was time where Remender spent with like one or two characters and let that character shine, as opposed to everyone having a zinger. It was, it was the first two issues were reminiscent of Bendis's Avengers, which I never really loved. Oh man! So love that's why I was a. That's why I kind of liked this issue. I will say that that Avengers run was zinger heavy. Oh, so good. Yeah, and mm. I don't. Yeah, so, so like you, Dale, have you read the first two issues of Axis yet? No, and actually, what you've just described this that's the most I've heard about Axis is what you just said, but it has me really interested because honestly. The only thing I heard was if you like, if you liked like the meat of Uncanny Avengers, you'll like, you'll have to like this. But saying that, all I remember from Uncanny Avengers are like the two twins, and I had no interest in any of that mm-hmm. stuff. But what yeah, you so just said if, sounds really cool. For me, that kind of event-heavy, witty, all-out action, everyone gets a screen time. It doesn't really appeal to me, but for you, who like that Bendis Avengers, you'll probably love Axis. So, like, I loved the Uncanny Avengers, you know, you get to see characters, sides of them that nobody cared to spend time on. So that's what I loved in Uncanny uh, X-Force. Sorry, I might have been saying Uncanny Avengers this whole time, but I meant Uncanny X-Force. Hmm. And so now, the issue three, he spends some more time, he has more time, but this is actually, I think the end of book one where the next issue is the end of book one of this event. So now it's going to change gears because something happens at the end of this one that opens things up a little bit, um, into a new phase of the story. So I'm interested to see where it goes. That explains why I saw that, uh, hobgoblin, random hobgoblin issue. That was an axis tie in. I was like, what is that? But it's weird. But all I just pictured was random apocalypse twins, gobbledygook were and words and dialogue yeah yeah no there's there's actually not a whole lot of that sometimes red skull spouts a speech but it's not the it's it's not like page long okay wow i'm i actually might have to go go back and get that now jonesy loves beer it's been a while since you had uh, a chance to tell us your thoughts this episode would you like to and i'm gonna channel uh my very good friend dale a when i talk about avatar press and their Garth Ennis title, War Stories. Uh, issue number one uh, is a, a wonderful look at a young American uh, lieutenant who is <clears throat> placed into a, a Great Britain-based B-17 bomber site. Hmm. And he is part of a crew, one of many B-17s that are in Britain, uh, when they after they join uh, the war, that's going to fly bombing missions into Europe. So, the first issue is basically his coming to grips was you know he just got commissioned. You know he was a college student, so he was given an officer commission. 
uh, he kind of is forced into it with a bunch of like working class enlisted men. Uh, they bond, you know, in wartime. Uh, he meets some of the local um, townspeople who kind of are thankful to the Americans, but kind of are kind of have have the attitude of you know if you maybe if you've been here earlier, you know, so many of us wouldn't have died. So there's a great resentment angle that Ennis um, goes after, and of course there's a huge twist at the end of it in true Garth Ennis fashion where you're just like that it was the most unnecessarily violent thing that totally changes the story on its head and I can't wait to see where he takes it from here because where do you go so uh, stellar first issue from one of the best writers you know in comics uh, and he I don't know if it, the art uh, let me get the artist name real quick I don't know if this was uh, tie-ins from artist uh, Matt Martin, uh, who also did the covers, but there was a lot of like famous, um, like anti-Nazi propaganda, like written in the background and posters, and you know a bunch of the slogans I can kind of half remember from studying the war during childhood, and just neat touches that are sprinkled over this first issue. That if like Dale, like you, are a big into the the war stories and the war comics like this is right up your alley and you know garth ennis you know you're not going to get a bad story well that sounds and it's and it's legit like war story yeah it's not, there's no it's not fantastical at mm, all it's wow. like, like one man's tr- and i think this is going to be an ongoing but they do that um dark horse thing where they title each arc as a number one so this oh, is man. castles in the sky number one this guy's a beast b17 pilot or crew member, rather. So you know it's going to be just this guy's story, and then maybe somebody else takes over oh, that's cool. for the next part of War Stories. Uh, great art, fantastic story, and it, none of it is fantasy. It's all like, imagine if you're this guy's grandson, and you know he's in his recliner, and you're kind of sitting there listening to his, recounting his story from mm. World War II. Great stuff. Cool. I thought this was a light week in comics. All of a sudden... Uh... You're getting blown up right now. I had four four more issues to my uh, <laughs> buy pile, and it's not even Wednesday anymore. R.I.P. Dale's bank account. Mm-hmm. Pretty much, I had a good run. Pretty much. We should just black it out so the mortgage company hears. I am not buying anything else. If you want to loop it in, Dale, go ahead. I know they're listening. They always listen. They want they want audio cuts. They ask me for audio cuts of certain scenes, and I say no. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Lightning round: two sentences or less. Most popular segment in show history. Another book we read, Quick and Dirty, Dale underscore A. Oh, my God. (laughs) Station 16, a, a little hardcover release from Dark Horse. Soldiers stationed on a remote island in Russia, formerly used for nuclear testing, get caught up in a horrific nuclear-fueled time loop that doesn't end well for anybody. (laughs) 
Batman 456 and 457. Alan Grant and Norm Brayfogel. 1990. The introduction of Tim Drake as Robin. These were the Batman books I read as a youth growing up. And they could be my favorite Batman books of all time. Is Seth Breed's love in that apartment feeding you these lines? (laughs) (laughs) Next you'll be like, I really love the Flash, guys. (laughs) Excuse me. Uh, Back to my book. Um, (laughs) Thank you, host of (laughs) a one-man show over there. Jim Zub's The Legend of Baldur's Gate, issue one. Uh, Jim manages to recapture that magic uh, that was throughout that first hardcover of the Dungeons and Dragons limited comic series. Uh, Pick it up if you're a fan of Jim or the genre. Can't wait to read that. God loves... Man Kills. The 80s. It's a wild time in Marvel Comics. Graphic novels they were making. Magazine-sized comic books. Six bucks. You know, it's kind of like season one was like an experiment to get people into bookstores and buying. You can think about that for the 80s. A little guy called uh, Claremont. You ever heard of him? Hmm? Oh, yeah. Hmm? Christopher Anderson. Christopher Claremont. Not Chris. Jonesy, please. What is God loves, man kills? I'm going to wax nostalgia here for you both. God loves, man kills is perhaps all you need to know about X-Men and mutants in one single comic book. <clears throat> and it's 80 odd pages. It introduces to you not only the broad Marvel Universe, but perhaps the most iconic team of X-Men that I know I shared in my youth. It would introduce the X-Men at large to a whole generation of leaders while both appealing to kids who are reading the book for action and appealing to the older audience that was that had grown up with the 60s era X-Men and was salivating for some more mature uh, material. So Claremont strikes this brilliant balance of both, and he gives us a story of the world turned against mutants, a media-controlled uh, mass population, who follows the misguided tenets of one William Stryker. He's a he's a television evangelist who has you know has had the his banner flocked to by many of the middle middle Americans, the Bible belters who have come to believe through his teachings that mutants are products of the devil and are heralds of the end of the human race. Obviously, the X-Men are opposed to that theory. 
The difference is that while Professor X tries to engage Stryker uh, on television in a debate to try to cool the uh, mutant-hating fires, Stryker has sent out Purifiers, a military arm of his organization, to capture, brainwash, and kill the X-Men to ostensibly make examples of them, to prove how dangerous and terrible they are. The remaining X-Men not captured, Cyclops and Storm, and Professor X are the ones uh, detained. You know, Wolverine leading a strike team, if you will, is sent to capture them. Face Striker, and in one of the most poignant uh, climaxes in this era of comics, maybe people think twice about mutants and some great character development of Magneto along the way. Mm. Mm. I actually read this. I have the print version. I read it on the train home today. Oh, nice. Big, large magazine. I probably look so weird. This ancient format of a comic book reading on the train but man were you like doing that thing where you're like jiggling the magazine people so people will look <clears throat> and you're like, like shaking it snapping the spine yes yeah, <laughs> looking around see if anybody's watching right of course everyone just kind of looked at me like you dweeb get out of here <laughs> not not even you nerd more. oh that's a shame. no i don't think so but what a gorgeous i remember you know, I I think maybe we all grow up grew up reading Wizard magazine, but my earliest memories of this book were reading Wizard magazine, you know, top fifty X Men stories or best X Men moments, and they would just show pieces of art from this graphic novel, and I'd be looking at it, I'd be like, man, that's a weird looking X Men comic. It's not something I read. You know, I go to the comic book shop, and I I don't think I read it for the longest time after that. But it did look strange compared to the monthly style. It was like yeah. a painted, painterly, realistically muddy style. And man, it holds up so well. It's gorgeous for uh, Anderson. Yeah, I had the same thoughts, not necessarily from Wizard Magazine, but it's a side note, like for for us who grew up with Wizard and kind of before the internet and stuff. Wizard? I say what, I don't know what, you know, the uh, the comics community as a whole thought about Wizard, but there were some good times for, for comic fans and their only connection to the, you know, to the comic world was Wizard. It was great, great time. Yeah, I had a subscription back in the day. Um, but, yeah, I always... This is one of the books where, I mean, I have trouble thinking about what I'm going to say up until showtime. Like, I was pulling into my driveway tonight, and I'm just like, I still don't know. iPad on your lap. iPad on my lap, hooked up to the Bluetooth. I might be (laughs) streaming video to catch up on some (laughs) podcast material. (laughs) I just envision you having some kind of scotch tape apparatus that ties the iPad to your steering wheel, and that's how you get your reading done. <laughs> that's beautiful. That's actually really, really good idea. I imagine the uh, the guy from True Lies who records the tape for uh, Harry is uh, just doing the dialogue for you. 
Yeah, yeah. It's either him. I can't get Simon Vance on the line all the time, but <laughs> sometimes I'll I'll speaker in Simon and he'll read the comic to me. Do it dismally. <clears throat> but and then uh, so I'm confused about what I what I'm going to say, but then I hear Jonesy's synopsis and he and it almost all makes sense. You know, Jonesy is a a, a beacon. But it's it is like the season one, this book has everything in 80 pages, 65 pages. It, it's got everything that somebody who doesn't even know about the X-Men. It's got everything that from setup to team to what, I mean, to just mutant life. And I and I and it's a masterpiece for that. And it's so heavy. Like it's not just you're oh you're different. You stinking mutant. And you know like a, a like a, a band of people throwing a rock as they you know show up to try to help out. It is a a reverend who speaks so impassionate and passioned and with and with power and with. Uh, charisma that he's gaining followers and he's making a case in a way you know obviously it's his side of the story but it's i mean it's heaven it's it's heavy heavy stuff he's quoting the bible and it's like it all it all makes sense it like all fits (laughs) yeah crazily yeah you yeah and that's exactly right the the striker character isn't some kind of he doesn't have a he's just kind of a psychopath and he'll he'll want nothing to murder everybody but in his head he's doing the moral thing in the in mm-hmm. his head he is doing what he thinks is right which is wiping out these abominations these mutants that don't deserve to live they don't deserve the air he breathes but i mean there are definitely people like that and i think that's what cr- makes this book so timeless is that you could supplant the word mutant with just about anybody, you know, whether it be black or gay or, yeah. you know, transgendered. Yeah. And the book holds up perfectly. Yes. Every statement, every statement that the Reverend Stryker makes, it is timeless. And it would hold up to, to today's standards. I agree. I, the only thing that uh, definitely threw me for a loop now, you know, when we read this, uh, I guess almost four years ago for episode two. I was not a father. Going back and reading it now in that terrible flashback where Stryker delivers his child on the side of the road because uh, his wife is having complications from the pregnancy and the child is obviously physically mutated. And, you know, (laughs) basically the, the car flies off the side of the road. He does an emergency delivery of the baby. The baby is mutated. He's like, well, this isn't right smothers the child and breaks his wife's neck like because the baby my is that my mutant. jaw dropped i was like i can't believe that's and that's, a comic like it's so crazy because he didn't have any direction he didn't he, he was just a guy then but like it's almost like that event and whatever hands guided him to murder his family like that gave him purpose all of a sudden. It like woke something up in him, and it's and it's it's crazy because it even I didn't notice it the first time around. I didn't. I don't remember a lot, but he even goes so far as to call the baby her baby. 
Yeah. Not my baby. I, I didn't have to kill my baby. I had to kill her baby because it's her fault that the baby was born. It's because she's a sinner, obviously, because he he was flawless. It's crazy. And, and there was actually a whole other layer that I didn't remember, and maybe I did when we first talked about it, but he, and I mean, not to get into nitty-gritty detail, I don't even think he smothered, he took like a knife yeah. to that baby, yeah, yeah. to that infant. And oh, this is kind yeah. of like really a sub-comment uh, about this whole thing. I don't think mutants, like this kind of takes place out of continuity, where you don't need to know X-Men stuff or history of mutants, but I don't think mutants are born as mutants out of the womb. It's only it until always, puberty. Yeah, always puberty where the mutation took effect. Right, but in this story it makes it makes perfect sense. So... He kills them and puts them back into the the flaming wreckage that's about to explode. I didn't catch that he also goes into that wreckage and he lays next to them as if to also kill himself after that, which I missed oh, totally. Yeah. yeah, I guess you're right so, because the the fireman wakes him up and says, "You must have been blown clear of the wreckage. Yeah. You know, you got you were chosen to live." Maybe that's yeah, what started the, his own you know his well, old crazy crusade. It goes into that because he says and then i place myself next to them as if you know that's it for me i was gonna die along with these these monsters i had no reason to live after i birthed the freak baby so he goes into a downward spiral of drinking and fighting and he still hasn't found his purpose yet he's just so miserable for x amount of time after this event has spared him he didn't know why and then he saw something about Professor X and mutants, and then that's when the light bulb went off, and he's like, that's my purpose. I need to rid the world of these people and and, and the Antichrist Professor X. I was like, whoa. Whoops. And I thought it was bonkers that I just didn't remember any of that during the story, because I remember that he killed his just-born baby, but that whole layer of him trying to kill himself and then surviving and then finally getting a purpose. I was like, well, holy smoke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah that's like born out that's of the a fire. Deeper level to the sickness than I picked up. Uh, let, let's, let's steer it a little brighter here. Um, I kept hearing this the entire time I was reading any action scene in this book. I know what you're going to play. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> I, look, the Pride of the X-Men costumes... Right? This was the yeah. X-Men I grew up. Arcade's Revenge costumes. The I, game? I, Do you remember the side-scroll oh, game? Oh, yeah. This oh. is a snapshot of that game. This was. These are my X-Men that I grew up on, and any time I get to go back to that is exceptional, in my opinion. And Claremont mm-hmm. writes of the best. There's those classic earmarks, you know, uh, adamantium claws run through his body, a mutant healing factor. You know, it's, retards his aging process. Like, there's so many great Claremontian touches in this graphic novel. But to see the X-Men in action is... Just, if you're a comic fan, it's it's hard to describe how great it feels to see it happen. To see this team... Previously, up on, on X-Men. X- <laughs> I was about to Gene. do that. <laughs> Logan, <laughs> Jean Grey trying to lift a paperclip and being strained and giving up. Uh. <laughs> Morph, Mar hit by the sentinel. Logan, no, uh. <laughs> Marf. <laughs> show is amazing. Uh. Remember when that show de- debuted in primetime? 
and that oh, was like man it yeah. rocked my world i was in a whole other universe when that show came out man. yeah and then it was like legitimizing what i liked as a kid and it was like full-on pizza hut like go to pizza hut now get your vhs whatever i, it was, it was I had the tape that had two episodes cold vengeance was the first one which is wolverine and Sabretooth in uh the Eskimo oh, Village. Is it Alaska? Oh, yeah. And the the second part of that was the Escape from Genosha, where Gambit, Storm, and Jubilee are imprisoned on the Genosha Island to like mm-hmm. be their workforce, their slave mm-hmm. workforce. Oh, my God. Do you remember the, the later, I think one of the final episodes was when Professor X was like dying, and Magneto came and and joined them to like battle Master Mold and the Sentinels. Yeah, that was, was like, like the, oh my gosh, the season Magneto's one. Joining them, the season one finale. Oh boy! But at so good. X or Professor X does uh, take place in that battle. He flies the uh, the oh, black yeah, towards Master Mold, and yeah. uh, Magneto has to stop the plane with his powers. And best part of the oh man, never mind. I'm just going to talk about that episode for two hours. <laughs> I'm going to reel myself back right in. I'm going to start a new podcast. <laughs> Guys, you're. This is how it happens. You're. You're hearing it live. The impetus. We don't have any more time to, to start another podcast. Previously on podcast X Men. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great name. It's a great name. Somebody get the Twitter account. The back to God loves man kills Pop the, X, for sure. I couldn't. I couldn't believe that Claremont. I mean, he's written some timeless stuff, but this one. Is is probably one of the most timeless. I think. Like you could give this to, uh, like my wife. You could give this to my wife. She enjoyed it, and she couldn't pinpoint why because she. I tried to get her to read Daredevil, and she she couldn't do it. What? And is she all right? The, the, <laughs> I I don't know what it is about this, but I I said the word timeless, and I think there is, you know, it starts out with regular people. It's not you know some hunky dory superhero shenanigans happening it's a real setting and i think it keeps that reality throughout the whole series and kitty pride there's that really not thinly veiled scene where someone calls you know talks about muties in front of kitty pride and she loses it and she starts a fight at like this dance class that i guess they all go to which <laughs> cracked me up yeah it was like um, fame high school or something like, yeah like why happening? is peter also going to this dance class he's 400 pounds this eight foot tall russian he's not doing anything in that class but that was another scene where they talked about uh their you know their black friend and she drops the n-word during that discussion but it hit home in and not i mean you can't just use that word in a comic book and just you know think you can make it perfect but i mean use it in in that scenario was you know he makes it work and there's just not a lot of stories where all cylinders hit perfectly whether it be his writing and the events that take place in the comic book and the art which keeps it staying in that way i mean you could get some kind of junk artist doing the art for this and it could lose you know all of that luster and it Mm -hmm. just works so perfectly for this book yeah claremont's pacing like i thought a lot about that because it just works and you you could question it or call out the some plots in the story about it moving along almost too easily but the pacing and uh the fact that it's a 65 page self-contained story that gives you the history of the x-men gives you 
their what they face on a daily basis and you know get gets gives gives you a taste of how they work as a team with their danger room scenario it, it like it's all in there and it fits perfectly and claremont's uh you know monologue thought bubbles about uh you know what what the characters are thinking to move the story along it just it it, it all works so well in this tight little package that you really can't ask for much more. I mean, it's really a fantastic read that's so, I mean, it's so weighty. Like it's, it's like you were saying, I mean, I, we could come, come back to that because it just, it matters. Like replace the word mutant with any other, uh, genre that gets singled out or any sort of class of people that get, could just be woman right now with Gamergate. Just put oh, woman yeah, on absolutely. this, like a woman hung with the name "woman" on it. Yeah, you put that uh, word in our show notes and watch us get burned alive. <laughs> you're gonna get do- you're gonna get doxed. You're gonna get doxed on the show. The um, and I I keep coming back to Brent Anderson's artwork, but there are so many panels that are just just draw jaw dropping when Magneto busts open the arena's roof. And you're, the camera is behind Stryker just seeing Magneto and the arena is behind him. Just absolutely stunning artwork. And, I mean, the other one was Cyclops. When he's finally loose and he uses his optic blast to destroy that machine. And there's just a wave. Like, he whips his head around to hit that machine. But the oh, yeah. the whip form is also in, in the air. So you see the optic blast in kind of like a, a spiral signature in midair. Just so gorgeous. And and to your other comment about it being so heavy and weighty, at the end, Magneto, you know, they're fine. They rescue Professor X. He mentions how he's like, enough of this crap. We're going to have to start doing it my way. You know, yeah. just take no prisoners. And Professor X is like, maybe you're right. And Professor X just, you don't see that really in the history up until this point. Where Professor X is just like, let's let's do another way. My dream isn't working anymore. And he says that, and Cyclops is like, "What the f are you saying right now?" Like he like slaps him around like Batman in that Ninja episode of Batman the Animated <laughs> Series, and he's he puts him in his place, and then Magneto leaves, and Professor X is just so gobsmacked that it's like, you know, this is why I put the team together. You guys hold me together in in my lowest moments. I thought that was so gorgeous at the end of this book. He's probably so. I mean, Professor X would probably be so understanding of Cyclops' position right now because oh. he was there at a time. <laughs> war criminal. He almost, Scott Summers. He could have been. He, Professor X could have very easily been the war criminal. Uh, if it had the had certain things just Cyclops been. Cyclops apologist. Stale underscore A. Hey. Well, I mean, Professor X. Every like three years, there's an um, X Men event where a secret comes out of Professor X's story. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> this year, it's he brainwashed this powerful mutant into thinking he wasn't a mutant. The couple years, Brubaker wrote that he made a secondary new X Men team that died on Krakoa and never told anybody. And what was, I mean, he's got other he's dark got that secrets. sister. Yeah, he right. had a, he had a twin sister in the womb. He married that Mystique. he tried to kill. He's married to Mystique. He was in love with Jean Grey, but never told anybody. I just reread Onslaught. That was oh, where that boy. was revealed. That's awkward. Yeah, really. And he also had Onslaught in his psyche that he never told anybody about. I mean, this guy's got some skeletons, skeletons in his skeletons. closet. Yeah, mutated. Good grief. Uh, Faked his own death. His he's several got times. He's got an arsenal in his uh, cachet, his his mind cachet, his psi blasts and his psi 
powers. I mean, I never have I seen his uh, mind powers weaponized so much as in uh, mm-hmm. God Loves Man Kills. Yeah, and Stryker was just able to turn his psionic powers into an energy blast. Yeah. I don't know what kind of technology Stryker can whip together to do that, but he made it work against Magneto, and I didn't even give a crap. Exactly, I was like, yeah. I don't, that's not possible in any way, <laughs> even in comic book worlds, but that's okay. Even Magneto, too. He's like using his magnetic powers to turn into like force blasts. Pushing. Oh, yeah. the Mag- How about Mag- Wolverine just deducing that i don't think they're dead but a magnetic jolt <laughs> might wake them up yeah like like the the, the poor x-men back then were so limited there's no beast that's probably why they're <laughs> no scientists yeah. yeah that's probably why claremont couldn't even have beast on what, the team what a bad team where logan is considered the scientific expert yeah. but magneto, <laughs> i believe magneto's exact line is well it can't hurt so let me try it out he's like the worst they could be is still dead so let's just try it. <laughs> what was his, um, there was a point where they were interrogating one of the purifiers and Wolverine was like about to do his middle claw into his skull and Magneto's like, let me do this. And he does some kind of worse interrogation, but he like lifts him up and just circles him with shards of metal. Was that the the interrogation where he just like <laughs> teased him with getting sliced up with metal? I didn't even know at the time. What about when he's using his magnetic powers to... Uh, rip the purifier suit apart, the purifier suit apart, and uh, the, the, the guy in there is just wearing underwear and a t-shirt <laughs> underneath of his metal purifier suit. He doesn't even have, like, thermals or... Like a bodysuit? Or bodysuit, yeah. It's just underwear. I mean, that's like Sigourney Weaver in Alien. She's prancing around <laughs> exactly. in her tidy whities That's what these guys do. It's just better that way. It's just easier. The um, The end of the digital version, I ended up going back to to compare panels and the digital version is so cleaned up compared to the original print version. It's not even funny. Oh, yeah. It looks, you know, so clean compared to the panels in the large format, but there's an interview with each of the creators. There's an interview with Claremont. Neil Adams gets second billing interview for some reason, which kind of irked me. And then the third one, Brent Anderson. Oh, that's messed up. I mean, Brent Anderson did the darn art in the thing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why. I don't know what that decision was about, but they talked to him for some reason. I guess it's a big deal that he did three pages and then turned down the project. Was this Stryker's first appearance? Yes. And I don't think he came back until, I remember a few years back, maybe when we did the first episode of this, Claremont brought back Stryker for God Loves Man Kills 2 when he was doing Extreme X-Men. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah, you can, I, I mean, the art, it's just doesn't even, I looked at the few covers and the internal art and it's just like, come on guys, <laughs> let's, let's not get crazy here. Oh boy. But they did. I didn't read it. I think it was like him coming out of prison and his son was doing something. His dead son. I don't know. And what was the story of uh, Kitty being called Ariel? Is that just for this she's, book? She's had like nine nicknames. She's had a ton of different nicknames. She's, she's been called Sprite, Shadowcat, Ariel. Ariel, okay. Yeah, okay, I, I don't right. know if that was just this book, but I just know she's had a ton of nicknames. Yeah, you're right. Previously <laughs> on X-Men. God loves man kills. We got your letters. I'm gonna open them up. Farrington's gonna read them. To you. 
Episode 200, we're going to have a new sounder. We have to have a new sounder. <laughs> what is wrong with that sounder? Don't, be Don't worry, hater. you'll sing it. Jeez Louise. I know. <laughs> baby. Um, maybe Dale should sing it. Maybe we should all just relax. <laughs> Jesse, I thought you picked up your iPad, but that's your phone, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is my Jeez. phone. Jeez. Amazing. Oh, man. Letters at paperkeg.com. If you want to shoot us a letter, we might read it on the air. Uh, our first letter comes to us from a new friend of the show, uh, Aaron Jones. He writes, guys, I'm writing you because I haven't before. Your great comic talks, uh, your great comic talks DM fantastic friend have made my daily commute of 60 plus minutes one of the most enjoyable parts of my day. Haven't listened to Gotham Central Part 2 yet, but will soon. I've been busy catching up on Book Jug, Tech Smoke, and The Flap. The podcasts of the PRS have replaced all radio for me. Thank you, friend. No need to read this during the show. Sorry. Just wanted you guys to know how much I've enjoyed listening. Thanks for one of the Jones clan. That's at AJ1209 on the Twitter. P.S. Already again soon with some questions and comments. Uh, and he sends that from my mail on iOS. I'm not sure that needed to be read either. Yeah. <laughs> he probably should have put that in his signature too. He and then uh, <laughs> how fortuitous that same day he sent it. He sent up a follow up, just thanking us for the new podcast added to the syndicate uh, interview with the podcast vampire. Our ode to Tom Cruise Tom. and his our pentagonal podcast. Uh, the very next letter after that comes to us uh, from friend of the show at Sean Gregory Miller. Uh, you can visit him at www.anchorcomics.com. He writes, Hey guys, I've had a lot of late nights recently and have been going through the old episodes to help me pass the time. Have you guys ever considered doing a best of episode or maybe just a segment of standout moments? Uh, there's some real good stuff in those older episodes. I nominate Dale's awkward goodbye to Carmine Infantino to be in at least <laughs> the top five. <laughs> Any fond memories you could think of off the top of your heads? What would make your top five? Uh, Sean Gregory Miller. Sean, number one for me is when I held on to the news of my son's impending birth to a fireside chat and got Slim to leave the mic to come over and give me a hug. It was the greatest moment of my life. I was, I let the, that's when I let the veil of the troll master down. The guys, yes, yeah. my internet persona was uh, <laughs> vanquished for for a brief respite publicly. I mean, I I would I think we would consider a best of episode if any of us could remember anything that happened in any previous episode beyond right now's episode. <laughs> Can you imagine having to listen to what's which is over 175 hours of us talking to get a best of clips. Yeah, I mean, I that's, mean that's like even cause, because it's not like we have an archivist archiving everything that happened on the show or co- or show notes are quick and dirty. And unfortunately, like that's probably close to two hundred hours. I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. man, just scary! Like it would be amazing if we had best of clip show, but I don't even know if I, that would ever happen. I did that once for a podcast that shall not be named, but it's very time consuming. Even if I did know where the clips are, it's just so time consuming to pull those clips out. It would have to be over a long period of time where I do like one or two a week and I just don't want to hang myself. If anyone was interested in doing it for us, I can afford about 11 us dollars to pay you 
uh, via PayPal for your efforts. I remember the uh, the Carmine Infantino bit though, and that was it might have been the hardest laughing moment. I mean, one of one of the top <laughs> well, five at least. I vaguely remember that. wasn't Was that when you just went off on a speech about Carmen and it just went awry? And it was just not a good send off for Carmen Infantino. Well, it, it it was probably okay until you made light of it, and uh, I I maybe said <laughs> I didn't want Carmen Infantino to feel. I hope he didn't feel pain. And you just, do you, I mean, you just stopped the show completely. You said, I, I remember said, wait a minute, did you just say I hope he didn't feel pain? And then you couldn't breathe. You couldn't breathe. Like, what are you supposed to say? I, that's why we got rid of the news segment. Because that's what am I supposed people, to say in the news segment? That's, what, <laughs> that's why people write down speeches at funerals. You know, they don't just <laughs> spout those lines off when they're looking for something to say. It was an amazing moment. And I'll crack it up now. I hope somebody says, I hope, <laughs> I hope somebody at you for, your funeral says, I hope he didn't feel pain. Because that's probably one of the well, Now you're going to have to. You're going to have to say that at my funeral. I hope Man. he didn't feel pain. I was going to crack up and cry. <laughs> And we're going to walk out hand in hand. I can't say anything because I'll be long dead by the time you talk. <laughs> I mean, obviously, top five moment. We already played on the show where Jonesy flipped out and told a dear friend of ours to eat his own S and die. That was a real moment that happened. He was taken to the troll limit and he couldn't, he couldn't contain it anymore. Taken? To the limit. Called him a real. Wait, so you got J bag? I believe the the J bag. The comment that really set me off is the guy. The guy's on a talk show and makes the comment. Oh, so you guys just talk? I mean, what else will we do? Boy, here goes that monster's. He's losing it. He's losing it. That that's that low calorie monster is like the venom, Bane's venom, (laughs) pumping through his veins. He's charged up. (laughs) That's prescribed by his doctor. Doctor said take at least one sixteen ounce monster. <laughs> My doctor Leo Spichemin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was probably my favorite moment. That was your favorite moment of the last well, four you years. Know, it's tough because I think every other episode Dale says some hilarious comment under his breath and then I lose it, but then that's like it. <laughs> it's lost in the wilderness. It happens all the time. Your statement, Dale, about us not even remembering what's happened in this episode is true. Just goes in one ear out the other and lost forever. <laughs> yeah, unless you listen on replay. Yeah, that's, uh, that's probably. Anyway, uh, thank you for the kind words at Under an Anchor. Um, next up is a friend of the show and a tweeter of New Comic Day, Matt HH. Greetings, gents. Matt HH here. I'm enjoying the H out of the podcast, currently digging through the back catalog, uh, open paren. Sleeper is my favorite comic of the last 10 years, so it was great to see you cover it right out of the gate on uh, Paper Keg Episode 3, close paren. Since I'm not able to watch live tonight, I thought I'd do some research in advance. Please feel free to skip anything in the report that you've already covered in the podcast. Uh, as you know, in previous episodes, Matt HH, while watching along live with us, has tweeted us facts. Uh, the the uh, show intern, if you will, when he's available. God Loves, Man Kills intern report. It was published as one of Marvel's first few graphic novels, which were split between creator-owned titles and existing characters. It takes place between Uncanny X-Men 167 and 168, 
which as a 12-year-old kid, I bought off a spinner rack at the 7-Eleven, causing me to get into comics for real. This was an epic age of the X-Men, which featured the introduction of the Morlocks, Rogue joining the X-Men, Wolverine going to Japan, the intro of Madeline Pryor, the New Mutants forming. This era ended with life death. Pause here for Slim's sigh of adoration. Neil Adams was the original artist, but bailed due to refusing Marvel's work for higher contract. The digital comic features an epic interview slash rant with Adams. By the way, that sounds similar to when you guys saw him at the Eisner's. <laughs> that was a slim uh, living life out there in San Diego. That like. was. That was before I was living the life. That was like five years ago. Oh, wow. Uh, this was the first ever appearance of Wolverine popping his claws one at a time under a goon's chin a move since immortalized in just about every medium. It is also the first time Kitty Pride phases another person with her, which uh, is classic now. Uh, this book was used as the basis for Brian Singer's X-Men 2 movie, with Stryker getting changed from a preacher to the head of Weapon X. And apparently 80s South Bronx mem- gang members look like the village people, and sometimes their Spanish gang members wear turbans. <laughs> Keep up the good work, keggers, at... Matt HH, a.k.a. Matt the Intern. Matt, thank you for taking up that, that role. Yeah, my iPad, you know, isn't the, the latest. I don't get those facts as quick. Yeah, that was fantastic. Do. Thanks for organizing all like that. That's a really nice gesture, man. Thank you so Matt much. Matt the Intern, uh, if you want to go back to the previous 174 episodes and maybe <laughs> call out some timestamps, we're all for it. Matt, Matt the Intern, somehow also a more popular host than me. <laughs> And has not yet recorded Matt, with the us. intern, what are you doing for 176 next Thursday? <laughs> uh, our last letter uh, comes to us from dear friend of the show. Uh, he's at that movie freak on the Twitter, Tom Rankin. Uh, he writes, hey, keggers, wonderful set of eps those last two. Don't know if you remember, but I have my own book club. And oddly enough... We happen to be reading Gotham Central Book 1 right as those episodes dropped. Nice little syncing up there. It's destiny, babes. <laughs> Written in the stars. My friends didn't like it near as much as you did. Please get new friends as soon as you can. But I thoroughly enjoyed it, especially the third plot when Toya gets outed. A powerful, strong story, and I'll fully admit those last few panels made my eyes misty. Mm. And who didn't want to punch half those jerks in the precinct? Agree. Uh, I've I certainly did. I've had the club for a year now, and it's been quite a joy. Except when those guys didn't like Gotham Central, and I dropped them all, and I'm now advertising for new friends. Uh, wrangling twenty somethings with full schedules and empty wallets can be tough, and the group sizes has has waxed and waned. Even so, sitting down with friends to talk about comics is always a joy. Thanks for the inspiration. Uh, that's from Tom Rankin. P.S. Lightning Round Lazarus Number Twelve. Uh, my always favorite listener on Lightning Round. Uh, a bit slow, but some nice world building. After GC and this, I've decided to hire Lark to draw my life story when I finally kick it. Uh, thanks for that wonderful letter. I'm sorry your friends didn't make it. Uh, you know, you don't want to associate with anyone who doesn't like Gotham Central. It's pretty great that he runs a book club, though. He's doing it for a year now. That's a pretty great undertaking. Good job on that. Yeah, that's some lasting power, especially trying to get people together in one room. Tom Rankin, if I am available for any eulogies that you may need, 
Uh, I know Lark's got the art covered, but I could just do a blurb at the front of the book or something. I'd probably be good. Dale hopes you feel no pain. (laughs) (laughs) What episode? Did he say what episode that was? What episode number? I want to go back and cut that audio out. (laughs) No, I know you said the very least. I did not the second time, though, so it might be too different. Did I? Hmm. All right. Well, third time's a charm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was the last. What letter. a show! What a show! You know, um, next week's going to be probably the biggest show we've ever done. If I can oh, be honest, boy. It's Halloween. Go ahead and get that popcorn ready. It's going to be this Halloween, and you know we're going big. Go big or go home. Uh, and we will be reading for a book club episode. The Long Halloween. Ooh. All 800 pages of it. I will uh, bet one American dollar that Dale does not start until Thursday afternoon. <laughs> it's not physically possible to finish in that span of time. Dale, have you started? I, when will you my start? Bet, my bet stands. I'm just saying I have a long commute home, and if I can get that <laughs> mount rigged up. <laughs> a scotch tape mount. I, I might need a little something heavier because I am considering the absolute edition. But if I can oh. get that sucker on my steering wheel, better believe. Uh, now I'll, I'm going to probably start maybe Tuesday or Wednesday, Thursday, Thursday morning. Thursday morning. We'll see everybody next week. Night, right, guys. to give credit to uh at matt hh once again we uh we stopped announcing the next book club next books book club pull, 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 pull. it was the audio not me mm-hmm. messing up regulators uh, regulators <laughs> wipe up um <laughs> terrible how, how many episodes ago that we stopped doing it 50 60 i don't know that's the thing we, so, we we do something for a while and then we miss it for a week or two and then it just drifts into the the abyss yeah. yeah. Remember we used to have an outro? Did we? Did we? Yeah, remember I used to have a little blurb. Maybe it was only the first yeah, that was never. I can't remember. That was never like in practice, though. Not like announcing the book club, okay. but but honestly, we just weren't getting feedback either way, which we don't. We wouldn't expect anybody to give us feedback, but... True. In general, we if got, we don't get we feedback... We got wild hogged with being able to change it on the fly. If we don't get feedback about something and it, it goes missing for a week or two, then... It wasn't worth We've doing. We forgot about usually. it, yeah. Yeah. It wasn't AKA worth doing, slash, we forgot about it. Yeah. <laughs> we're fathers. I mean, we're, we're like, <laughs> we are run so ragged that the the ship, uh, the USS Paper Keg is held together with gum and the blood of dead. Um, My iPhone's ready as a life raft. Jonesy, what's the battery life on that iPhone? It's got to be amazing. It is amazing. I uh, I take it off the charger every morning, and I I usually have like forty percent. Wow! At home at seven or eight o'clock oh, at night. Word. 
Yeah, and I, I get up usually around 7.30 every morning. My so that's, word. It's great battery life. And I, and I use it, you know, free, I'm a, still a power user. You know, I'm on, on the Twitter. Yeah, you're I'm on not the, doing anything. You're on there constantly. I'm not a, not doing anything crazy like uh, browsing YouTube videos all day. But you oh, know, maybe yeah. you are. Or maybe that's like a subtle way of saying you are. That's you're sitting out in the parking lot, Z. not Come working. You're sitting out in the parking Sweetness. lot in your truck listening to all the, you're all caught up on the podcast serial all of a sudden. <laughs> what do you mean <laughs> all of a sudden? In one day, you're replying <laughs> to, you're writing a book on Twitter with everybody else. Just... <laughs> Right, eight a.m. Jonesy says, "What cereal?" Twelve p.m. He's caught up, <laughs> yes, jumping into conversations, <laughs> providing thoughts. Dale, why are you just upset because you are not caught up on cereal? Jonesy, don't don't you don't know how I do it, right? With that human centipede of a tweet chain you had going earlier. <laughs> all I said was, all I did was one subtweet. I think Jay did it, and I got about four responses almost immediately. Mrs. Beef and at Michael Francis. I mean, I, I replied once, and I was in that human centipede, and it was going down my throat for uh, a good 12 They probably tweets. started their own Usenet group that they're still on, commenting I mean, back the and forth. the nutritional value of whatever was pumping out of the rear end in front of you was now being passed through, through your body, Slim. You were a part of it. And you probably felt like crap after the first reply. Oh, boy. Hour 14 right now. <laughs> Paper cake. Uh, good times. So I have to ask before Uh-oh. we break here, uh, what Daredevil run does your wife despise and what's wrong with her? Listen, it's not easy to jump into superhero comics. I mean, as a, have you considered just woman. giving her underboss? No one starting no from there. Re- non-comic reader that just got into comics that doesn't like superhero books is going to like underboss. Yeah. Is it, did you, uh, when, you when you first talked to your wife... And she doesn't read comics. Did you give her underboss, and that ruined her? Uh, no, I I just was like okay, and walked in the other direction, never bringing it up ever again. You have to be. I mean, I gave uh, my wife comics to read way back, but it just didn't work out. And now you just have to find the right book. You can't just what be given was the right book for you? I mean, not that I'm asking um, you writing notes down over here. I, maybe I think she tried to read Fear Agent before, but. She wanted to see what she liked, so I recommended some seminal classics, and Alan Moore's Swamp Thing was one of them, and she liked it. So then she tried the New 52 Swamp Thing. She liked it. Day Tripper, obviously. Does you know, the um, non, non-Marvel day same day. is you can't, you can't start with same day Marvel books or DC. She reads a lot of image. So you gave her the she Mark Waid run, though, right? I mean... I did. I gave her the 20... Oh, I... I just finished the most recent mother storyline, the two issue Wakanda. So I recommended that one to her Mm -hmm. and I must have misspoke because she started the 2014 San Francisco run instead of the swashbuckling 2012 run, whatever, whatever year that was. She just didn't care for it. Does, um, does Yannick Peckett really follow her on Twitter? He does. How'd you, how did that come up in conversation? I think she tweeted um, oh, man. about him after she got that signed print, and he must have saw a twinkle in her eye, so he followed her. Jeez, I'm going to I'm gonna have to uh, see if she's You're available for the, the uh, your March offices at your paper keg. Use her skills. You have to get, you know, pick her brain a little bit, yeah. take some notes. She's been reading a book called Beauty 
um, you know, she she reads books that I don't even hear about, and I work for a digital comic company. Let me see what else she texted me about here. Beauty. She she's caught up on Sheltered from uh, it's a Boomer image, the one where the Lord of the Flies kids kill their uh, oh, yeah birther parents. Um, she just read uh, sh- uh, was it Shutter? The one I think Joe Keating writes it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was oh yeah Shutter yeah she read that one she liked it. Yeah, she finds, you know, almost exclusively image the storyteller book from maybe Archaea, Jim Henson's storyteller. I feel like, oh, yeah. I feel like my wife would like that. You know, I tried, she's big into the Muppets, and I tried getting her when the Muppets relaunched, I think in like 2010, with the all ages stories. I'm like, hey, you know, we like the Muppets. Here's some Muppet stories. and She should, she should the, write a article on what to recommend to wives and why yeah maybe yeah. post it on papercake.com maybe we will I started reading Grace in a book um, real quick we could end the show on this possibly mm. picked it up at uh, Baltimore Comic Con the uh, Monster on the Hill it's an all ages book where uh, these old English towns are terrorized by monsters and it's almost like a tourist attraction like people huddle and gather to see these Monsters start to attack, but there's one town who's stricken with, like, an Eeyore of a monster. Like, he just doesn't have it in him. He doesn't feel like uh, terrorizing. He doesn't feel like doing anything. So, like, this little uh, newsy kid with, like, a Dick Van Dyke Mary Poppins Cockney accent and, uh, uh, like, a doctor who is basically more trouble than he's worth in town are sent to, like, get the monster some help. So the monster's going to, like, visit all his monster friends from school who are successful at terrorizing other towns. Really good. It's like a uh, top-shelf book, top-shelf kids' book. Hmm. Monster on the Hill. Kind of like Monsters, Inc., but set back in uh, olden times. Yeah, yeah, I guess uh, I guess so. In the, the, the um, James has become obsessed with Godzilla. We had, I think there was like an ad for it in one of his My Little Pony books for Godzilla. And I was like, oh, we should watch some Godzilla movies. And then he started watching the black and white 1950s. And he puts his hand on his hand, his head on his hands, lays on the couch and is enthralled with it. And we just read a Godzilla comic that was like no words. And it was 1950s Godzilla versus Matthew Broderick movie Godzilla. And he was losing his mind. (laughs) What? Really? (laughs) What? Yeah. Wow. He was like, whoa, who's that? And it was just amazing. I've never seen anything like it. He's never been into a comic book like he's been into a Godzilla comic book. Wow. Nice. That's exciting. I've seen it coming. Yeah. And there was also the, I guess there was an American Godzilla movie in the 60s. And who's the, you don't remember offhand who the actor was in that movie, do you? Dale? I saw you nodding. It's like Ray Bradbury no or something? I think. Yeah, someone like that, but it was weird. It was so slow compared to the Japanese movies. Like, nothing happens for most of the movie. And whoever that actor is, if it's Ray Bradbury or someone else, all of his scenes are shot in front of a wall Mm -hmm. where it's like every scene, like there could be a scene on a boat where the Japanese fisherman, and he's (laughs) on this boat, but every time they shoot to him, he's just in front of a wall, like reacting for five seconds and doing nothing. It's so weird. 
<laughs> Raymond Burr. Ah, there you go. Uh, Perry Mason himself. Yeah, he was terrible in that movie. Don't watch the American one. Raymond Burr. So we want to uh, say uh, farewell, and um, we hope you're in a better place if you suffered. If you suffered, I'm not sure. Um, Very uh, VP of awkward uh, condolences. I I don't know. (laughs) I'm getting better. When I die, please don't speak at my funeral. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not even coming. Jonesy's doing the synopsis of your funeral. Oh Lord, that would be even worse. If, if you can I imagine if that. I die before Jonesy, so help me God, I will haunt everyone, every <laughs> one of you. That would what a travesty that would be. You better go haunt his doctor. Thanks. I'm yes. gonna go after his doctor first. I'll tell you what. Love you, Jonesy. <laughs> yeah, it shows. <laughs>